it's been a little while, were there? Plenty happening, but uh, we'll try to cover as much as we can. We're uh, we're back in town. Tennis is uh, taking basketball away from Melbourne, but it's the NBL's flying around the country. What's happening? Oh, look, mate, it's been uh, it's been good. There's been a lot of basketball. There's been uh, a lot happening. Um, the Bachelor's been on. I'm sure we've all been watching <laughs> that with Felix. Um, between no, Felix mate. and Darren, between Felix and Darren Lucas, reality TV and basketball. Wow. <laughs> it's funny. I was speaking to my partner last night, and I said. Daz might have been on the show for six days and has shown more growth than what Felix has in the six weeks of the show. So, I must admit, I have not watched a second of The Bachelor yet, but I can't help avoid the ads. Uh, yeah, I unashamedly watch it um, because uh, my partner's daughter was all about The Bachelors before it started. And um, if I was going to watch Daz on My Mum, Your Dad, um, then I was going to watch The Bachelor as well just to see how it all panned out. Well, you're a better man than me. I, I haven't done that. But, like, hey, let's get no, on. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're a smarter man. <laughs> this is true. Hey, um, basketball-wise, the, um, you can't help but see some similarities with the challenge CJ Bruton and the Adelaide 36ers have on their hands to the situation Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets found themselves in early on in the season when – you know, a, a new a new coach who was a champion player couldn't quite get the team a team that they'd heavily invested in to where they needed to be. I, I suppose, in the bluntest possible f- f- uh, way, um, is CJ Bruton under pressure as coach of the Adelaide Thirty Sixers, given that they won't make the playoffs? Yes, yes, he's un- under pressure. Should he be? Um, is probably a better question. Or should he be given the time to grow as a coach along with that team? Previously, the most unwanted job in the NBL would have been the Wildcats position, where which uh, Scott Morrison found out last year. If you're on the losing side of a streak, the the whole state turns on you. Outside of the Perth job, the Adelaide 36ers job has been the one position that is the spot that you wouldn't want to be in as a coach. Um, Because of the pressure from the state. Because of the pressure of the state. And I can't help but notice that every time that CJ coaches, he's got an owner just over his right shoulder the entire time an owner that has been vocal about its championship or bust. Um, I've been in a situation, you've been in a situation where yeah, owners can be right. can be um, probably wanting to be Influential, but don't have the basketball knowledge or understanding of how things work. Um, obviously, they comprised a roster that they thought was a championship-winning roster, um, but I, I didn't see that they had consistent outputs by Australian players 
to be able to suit the imports that they had. Um, we saw Cleveland with up and down games last year in Illawarra. His his best is really really good, but I think we saw probably towards his worst in this last game that they needed to win, where he fouls out in the seven or eight minutes that he plays. Um, Robert Franks is a very very good player. I. Uh, um, they got got it wrong with Randall and his attitude towards the team. But then you look past the imports and Ian Clark um, probably hasn't lived up to the hype since coming in as well. Remember we spoke but about then, that a couple of episodes ago, that he hadn't played in between and you wonder why he doesn't pick up a job outside of the NBL. Yeah. So, no, you're right. He, he's been good in patches, but, yeah, but keep going. But then you look at their Australian content. Their most consistent performers have been probably Drimmick. Yep. Um, and then Mitch McCarron. And Mitch is still fighting this identity of am I a scorer, am I a point guard? And sometimes almost like the Ben Simmons things where people are questioning why are you giving up wide open layups? to pass to someone else, um, it's that balance that he hasn't quite found yet. I think when he's more aggressive, Adelaide look better as a team because teams have to actually play him as a scorer. But when they know he's in that mode of just passing, they can sag off him a little bit more and it, it, it just crowds the whole court. So CJ would definitely be feeling the pressure um, from the owners he's definitely feeling the pressure from the state um and if cj is still in charge next year and i hope he is he needs to find a defensive identity with this group going forward because um while the kings are really good offensively they've shown that they've been really good defensively while cans have been really good offensively they've shown that they've played really good team defense and have an identity on the defensive end I don't know what Adelaide's defensive identity is. Well, I, I agree with you that I hope that unless an established, uh, you know, highly credentialed, experienced coach becomes available, and we're talking guys like Gordon who are no-brainers, that they go with CJ again because he'll be better next year and it takes those couple of years to, to grow into that role. So I hope they give him a chance to at least get the season started next year, but... I, I agree with, with everything you've said. But um, hey, another team as this season narrows itself into seven teams and the, the I've seen the Phoenix play the last two games and I still stand by my belief that they have the best chance of challenging the Sydney Kings in a three or five game series if they're at full strength, which they weren't against Cairns but still found a way to win with, with Ryan Brockhoff out. But the Phoenix and United have been sort of flip-flopping in that sixth and seventh spot, and you still look at Perth can miss, Tasmania can miss. But the, the big news out of United is that Shaili got another knock to his head and he's out for the year. Um, and that's a smart thing to do. I know the club's gutted, Shay's gutted. We all know that United are a much better team with Shaili running the show. Um his presence on the defensive end, his on-ball ball pressure and the way he organises that group um, is invaluable. And, and as good as XRM's been, he's a scoring guard. 
um, and he likes to get his own and get going himself. But just a massive blow for United. Interested in your thoughts. And I just think it makes it really hard for them, you know, although the Phoenix still have to play the Kings and likely need to win to get in. Yeah, for me, that all but ends United's chances, even if they get in, of probably progressing. Mm -hmm. I'd start off by saying wins and losses don't matter when it comes to someone's health. And Shay has been been through it this season. He's an absolute warrior. He sticks his head in where other people fear to stick their head in. Um, And unfortunately for him, um, this has been probably the toughest season of his life. Now, does he make Melbourne United a better team? A thousand percent he makes it. Like this, the the United that we've seen over the last two months has probably been the United that Dean Vickerman envisioned where Shea was getting Chris Golding good looks, where he was getting Marcus Lee and Isaac Humphreys involved, um, that they did have a defensive bite uh, that they just haven't had without Shea at the end of the day. So um, if he's out for the rest of the season, first and foremost, we just want him to be okay and that he'll be able to return um, because head knocks are not something you should muck around with. Secondly, it makes it really hard for United because as good as they've been, it's been on the back of Shea Ely's being able to set them up and then XRM now probably plays further into the conflicting roles that he's had to play this year of I'm a scorer and we're losing. I'm a bench player, uh, not scoring as much. We're winning. Now I'm being asked to get back into that position uh, again uh, where I might be in a position to score again. So it, I, I find it hard for United to make it from here. Um, however, Marcus Lee has been fantastic since coming uh, over. He's been much better than what I anticipated him to be. Uh, yeah, but they, they... I agree, and I want to go back and echo what you said at the start. And you know, I've been reasonably close to the Illy family, having coached his wife uh, Morgan for the last three years and getting to know his daughters and. We really hope that this is something that does re- that he does recover 100% from. And, you know, even to keep this in a basketball context, you know, we all know that most NBL players that aren't the absolute top tier will go and play NBL 1 or they'll pick up another lower-paying contract in the offseason. And Shea is one of those players and has played for the Sandringham Sabres and, I'm guessing completely with the number, they might pay him 20 grand um, to play that season. And that 20,000 clearly helps their family. My, my hope would be that, and again, this may be off topic, but United find a way to help supplement that 20 grand and make sure that he doesn't play, but he doesn't suffer financially through not playing. So there's a little bit more to it with head knocks like that. And I think United have made the absolute best choice and shown that they've protected him. That they could really make a stand if they were to invest in making sure he got right in the off season by continuing to protect him uh, almost from himself if he did want to get there and play. Um, yeah, hey, uh, just before you just before you move on, um, 
it'd be remiss of us not to talk about Harry while we're talking oh, about yes, head knocks. Absolutely. Um, Harry, Harry Froling, and the Froling family is someone that I've known for a very, very long time. The Frolings, Shane, Jenny, um, Harry's parents. Um, I tweeted about this the other day that no individual should be go through a one uh, one punch hit, a king hit, if you may. Um, no family should have to see their son, brother, um, be in that state as well. Um, Harry's got a long road to recovery. Um, I got a message this morning that he's doing better. Uh, has no idea what happened. But um, like I said, hopefully the punishment fits the crime. Uh, no matter what someone does, you don't hit someone when their hands are down. Uh, you don't hit them in the face. And, um, yeah, I, I, I hope Harry's okay and I hope he is able to get back on the quarter again because um, – Having a brain bleed and a fractured skull, um, there's a long road to recovery there. And, um, yeah, we wish Harry all the best as well. I couldn't add anything better. Well said, mate. Um, absolutely. The The last NBL topic that, that I want to touch on, is there was a new story came out during the week. Clearly, Bronny James is weighing up his options and we all just assume he'll go to college and he'll maybe Ohio State and maybe one of the others on the list and LeBron's come out and said that pretty much if he picks up the phone and makes a call, that school will take Bronny and, you know, I think will Larry Kesterman came out during the week and indicated that they'd had conversations that opened the conversation with Bronny James to get him here as a next star, which is a great thing to say, but, it, you know, I think the league's gone past having to tell people that we've had the conversation because it won't happen. Bronny James is not coming to Australia. But by all reports, they threw a lot of money at an offer as a swing for the fences, which I commend. Um, you know, it included, of course, having getting LeBron here to Australia, but he won't be here. Um, I think we need to deal with who we are bringing here and the quality of that. You know, I don't think we need to justify who we're calling to our fans and maybe even lead them to believe that there's a chance. But correct me if I'm any bit wrong in that part, were they? No. Uh, and here's where the Next Stars program is going to hit a snag over the next couple of years. When they don't uh, the Neil, anymore. The, the Neil deal as well. So whatever amount of money that the NBL has thrown at Bronny to come here, uh, he would get that in the first day that he goes to college. Spot on. Um, Bronny, when he chooses a college, I would suspect that he would probably be the highest paid college athlete with the nil deals in place that come with it. He'll have a Nike deal. Guaranteed. That would be in place. He'd have... Oh, I can't even imagine how much money this kid's going to make in college off a nil deal. Um, and like you said, I think that's going to be the biggest killer 
of the Next Stars program over anything else is the ability to market the kids now when them getting paid going to college at the end well, of the, the day. The other obstacle, of course, that the Next Stars program faces is the NBA after next season is removing the requirement for players to go to college from high school and they'll be able to go which, to state, which is why the Next Stars program works. So the NBL's got a bit of work on their hands to make sure that we can continue to bring high-profile young athletes out when the best ones are able to go directly now straight from high school to become drafted and go to the NBA. Well, that, that one affects the international guys more. The Neil deal affects the Americans coming here. So it's really been a double slap from the Next Stars program. Um, but like you said, the, the chances of Bronny coming here are nil. Uh, nil. <laughs> That's well done. Good job. Thank you. Hey, I just wanted to talk briefly, and I know we, we've caught up a bit um, and just almost tie a bow on, on some of the, the experiences we've had with Dirk Nowitzki while he's been in Australia. And you know, I wrote this piece for Code, and you know we, we've talked off air, but you know to be able to reconnect with a mate, and a mate who probably, when I met him as an 18-, 19-year-old kid, and I was a baby as well, would have been the person you'd least expect to become the superstar he's become, to carry a franchise that was quite literally on its knees to a championship, uh, to become the NBA most valuable player, to become the finals most valuable player in the in a championship year, and to then come out and yeah, you know, we'd reconnected a little bit over the years, but you know, not certainly not someone I speak a lot to, but. Then when you get to, st- to spend extended periods of time with him over a couple of weeks, he's exactly the same. He is the most humble. Yeah, and the feedback we got along the lines of you're just always really scared to meet your idols because they always tend to let you down unless they're Dirk Nowitzki. Then it's just awesome. I can't tell you the amount of times we had that kind of feedback that whatever people thought they were getting from meeting or listening to Dirk, it was just surpassed. So I guess, you know, the people who've been around the events I've been trying to build and the tours I've been trying to build know that we tried to do this really genuinely. And the stories that Dirk told, the lessons that he shared, and there's one, and the one that stands out that I do want to share and I wrote about, and he got asked a couple of times, what's the best piece of the single best piece of advice he would offer anyone who wanted to become successful in whatever they did. And straight away he said, get a mentor. Find a mentor who's got your best interests at heart but who challenges you both in your field of expertise that you've brought them on for but also to grow as a man or as a woman or as a person. Um, yeah, He spoke about his uh, mentor, Holger, who was an ex-champion basketball player and junior coach, but on top of all of the on-court hours that he spent and on top of the fact that he was always just a phone call away, whether he was on the other side of the world or not, the stories that he told about Holger challenging him to finish school and to become a better student early days, to learn a language, to learn a musical instrument, to visit museums on the road with him, of course, to make sure he broadened his perspective on life so that when things weren't going as well, on the basketball court, 
he, it didn't become all-consuming. He had other things in his life to look forward to, and he reckons that that balance was something that helped him get through those 21 years and to become the quality of player that he became. I just thought for some of the younger people listening and maybe even for the business people, it, it was just really good advice that as soon as he said it, I thought, I've got to share that. But, um, you know, for me, you know, a, a big thanks to Dirk. I know he doesn't listen to this, so we can probably say anything, but um, it's been incredible having someone of that calibre uh, to be that accessible to so many people. So it was a lot of fun and uh, we'll do it again. Mate, I, as someone who's met Dirk, he's uh, he is as genuine as they come and uh, all I can say is I appreciate the time that I FaceTime you that I got the <laughs> phone with Dirk waving at me. Uh, I really appreciate that. But uh, I think that's another feather in your cap as well of another great event that you've been able to put on with Josh, with Luke Longley, now with Dirk. Um, I'm excited to see what's what you've got in the pipeline next and uh, uh, the resume keeps building on great events that you're just putting on, mate. So well Thanks, done mate. to you. No, it's, it's been fun. But uh, hey, I, I, let, let's flip this around a little bit. I, I, we touched last week and I actually had a few people reach out and message me. You touched on your you touched on Firepower, um, who are the old owners of the Sydney Kings, and we, we were speaking about how difficult it is to play through the distractions um, that become involved with, with lack of payment and those kinds of things. And I, I pretty much just wanted to give you the floor to share yeah, reasonably briefly what that year was like for you. And, and we ended up beating you guys in the championship, but learning later on what you went through and your group went through to just get there. Um, and it probably, it probably helped me understand why Gordon ran around the court fist bumping in game four like an idiot um, because that was out of character and for understanding what you guys went through. So I guess tell us just a little bit about that year because I'm not sure it's that, that story has been told enough. No. Um, the start of the season was, was fine. Everything was per normal for us um, of what a, what a NBL season should look like as far as um, – getting paid and, and whatnot. And then, uh, I think it was just be- before the Christmas break, uh, it came to payday and no- nothing came through. And, um, you know, the, the phone calls start going. And one thing about um, having Gorgian is you can always guarantee that there's almost Amanda, his, his partner, in the front office um, there, and so Amanda would have started getting the phone calls of um, what's what's going on. Um, I, I'll preface this by saying that I, I was a younger guy um, and at the time I can look back on things now and say that some guys on the team made way bigger sacrifices than what – Someone like myself, or Luke Kendall. I was going to say, na- name um, a couple. Let let's let people know how great these. And then we're talking two thousand seven, eight here, just yeah. by the way. But um, people like Russell Hinder, who um, wife, two kids, one on the way. Jason Smith, uh, wife, um, two young young kids. Um, Bj Carter, 
wife and one on the way. Um, most of these people with mortgages in Sydney as well. Um, and all of a sudden, the payments stopped coming through. Now, for me, it was more like, oh, I know, I'll know I'll get my money eventually. I'll know I'll get there. Um, I can honestly tell you I walked out of Sydney in debt after three years um, because we didn't get paid. Yeah. We, did, we didn't get the money. Um, and this is where my adulation for Gorge grew because um, he found a way to, to get guys to rock up to training. We didn't have to. We didn't how have did to he, play. How did, he, how did he do it? He did it in only a way Gorge could do and, and sort of made it us versus everyone else, everyone else. Um, and we were going to stick it to firepower and we were going to stick it to anyone. And um, obviously, like you said, we, we fell short. We went to five games. Um, Jason Smith was playing with a broken hand by the end of it. Uh, Dante Draper with a, with a torn hamstring. But I, I look back on it now, and we had no rights to be in a grand final series with the mental state of where the players should have been. We had no right of making it to a game five with the injuries to key players that we did. And, um, you know, I, 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 I go, I look back on that time now, and I really think of how classy Jason Smith was, how classy Russell Hinder was. BJ Carter, Glenn Savile. Um, we just we just had a group that we 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 ended up playing for each other. And um, you've been on groups. Not every group gets along. You've been on Gorgeous teams. It's it's hard to stay together throughout the season when you train as hard as what you do, and you get into physical altercations like you do at training. Um, there was nothing tougher than a Gorgian training session. Games were easy. They were meant to be easier. Um, but when you're going through that sort of toughness of training and you're not getting paid for it and yeah. you're not sure when the next paycheck's going to come through and you've got guys bullshitting you about where it is. And Tim Johnson, the, the owner, is flying in and out of Sydney first class and is in Sydney for a day. We're like, we made sure that the whole team went and saw him if he was in Sydney for a day. We'd he find still, him. And, he, and, he st and he'd still look you in the eye and tell him. He'd look you in the eye and say, yeah, sorry, sorry, guys, I know it's been rough. Money will be there Tuesday. And it never was. Um, yeah, it, it, I look back on it. Um, there's so many great people that were in that Sydney Kings organization. There's still some there today that have, that, that went through that stuff. But, um, I'm forever grateful for my teammates for making that experience, um, more palatable than what it should have been. Um, I'm grateful for the relationships I have with some of those teammates still to this day. Um, but it was definitely the most challenging year of my professional career, uh, for sure. And, um, I'd hope that the NBL is now past this with teams folding, with owners not being able to pay and whatnot, and we've moved on to a uh, 
a more reliable uh, because the NBL during that time was definitely a shambles. I went through what, more times than I care to worry about. Um, but I'm glad that the NBL is in a space that it is today. And and that I think that's the reason we wanted to bring it up with cross between what the bullets are going through with the disorganisation there. And yeah, every time we get asked about the NBL and expansion into the Northern Territory or the Gold Coast or whatever it might be, I, I just think that the first thing that the NBL needs to do, as and for the reason you've just described so well, is to make sure that any club that comes into the leagues here in another 20 years and it pays its players and it's professional and it's sustainable as a business. But um, no, I'm glad you're able to share that story. I just and, I, and I just, I, I went to, and you'll laugh, I went to Sean Redditch's, uh jersey retirement. Can I just say, on the, weekend. The, would, the funniest thing in the world would have been if when they hung his singlet up and it fell, flopped from the, flopped from the rafters. How good would have that been? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and and the reason I'm bringing this up on the back off the back of the Sydney Kings thing is, um, I always wanted to be a one team sort of player. Like I was loyal throughout my junior basketball. I always played with the same club. Um, leaving Sydney hurt. It hurt because I knew I was on a good team, um, and I knew I had a good coach. Now, obviously, it worked for me going to the South Dragons. And then I thought after one year, we could replicate the same thing here. I had a good, the same great coach. I had the same good team. And uh, you can't help but get a little bit jealous because during my career, Sean was the guy winning the championships. I won one. He won four. Sean gets his jersey up in the rafters. There isn't a rafter that I was in long enough to even get something like that. Um, and... You know, I look back to those Sydney times of what could have been, essentially. Not to say that I should go up in the rafters next to, you know, Matty Nielsen and Dwayne McLean and, and, and all that, far from it. Um, but wasn't given an opportunity to. Um, that's another thing. It's a really common thread down here in Melbourne. There's one of our very close friends, Daryl McDonald, doesn't have a singlet hanging anywhere. I mean, yeah. that just needs to be fixed. The Daryl McDonald singlet needs to hang. But you yeah. know what? People say either in either at United or at the Phoenix, being he played for the South East Melbourne or he also played for the Titans as well. But um, I'd love to see both of them almost co-retire it because he's played for so many Melbourne teams and was a champion of all. But, um, hey, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, we've, we've wanted to touch on this one for a couple of weeks. We, we had this come through. Um, a really pertinent question at the moment, and it's I'll read it out and I'll let you go because you've got a, a situation, but the question is how important is it to understand your role and be very good at, at that role in a basketball team? Like then the example they've given is someone like Dave Barlow who comes in and defends a post now and just finds his catch and shoot threes but doesn't feel a need to go and do everything else. So we've probably only got three or four minutes. Just touch on that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very, very important to know your role at the end of the day. Um, you can only have really one or two guys on your team that are the guys at the end of the day. And so similar to what we talked about with Adelaide is understanding role players that do their role really, really well and consistently. Um, working with the Washington Wizards, 
Rui Hachimura has just been traded to the Lakers and everyone goes, well, why are you getting rid of Rui Hachimura for Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks? And the explanation is pretty simple. Didn't want to play his role. Um, he wanted to be a starter. He wanted to get bulk minutes. He wanted to be the guy scoring on a t- team that already has Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis. Um, you look at any team in the history of the NBA, you look at the big threes. If it was Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, Chris Bosch had to settle into his role. Uh, Kevin Love had to settle into his role uh, next to LeBron and Kyrie. Um, there's just so many different examples that once it gets past the two-player mark, the third player has to settle into the role. And so for David Barlow, who is a defensive and three, even Ariel Huckaporty, shot blocker, run the lane as hard as you can and try and get a seal on the front of the rim. Uh, those guys make the team. And when you get to a final series, you will never hear a coach saying, we're dependent on our best player to be the best player on the court. You never, ever hear that. You expect your best player to do what he's done all season. It's always about the X factor, who's going to bob up and do what their job the best. And when it comes to, uh, say, this final series, we won't be talking about an Xavier Cooks versus uh, Tajir McCall or... Uh, Will McDowell-White will be hearing about the role players. What does Angus Glover do off the bench? What does Sean Bruce, what does Geordie Hunter do? Um, what does... Uh, you know what, James- ironically, I think one of the best role players in the NBL right now might be DJ Vazilievich. Uh, for yep. me, he could have the ball in his hands a lot more and create more, but he's been fantastic in bringing back what he does and what he provides to that team and he picks his moments. I just think he's been exceptional as well in that I agree with you I agree so to to put it bluntly the role players are the most important part of the team and understanding your role at the end of the day and once you have role clarity your team as a whole tends to function a lot better and I will give a little bit of a shout out to who sent that in it was from Daryl Corletto and you know I played with Daz and you played against Daz for a lot of years and and played with Daz he's one of the best and Mm-hmm. You know, I had the ball in my hands a lot when I played with Daz, but he made it easy for me because he created space. And every time we gave it to him, he made the right choice or knocked down a shot or shot his little floater. And he just knew what he was doing on the defensive end. He was a great positional defender. Um, and and off the court, he was a great yeah, role model of how was, to be a professional. I was going to say the appreciation, again, when you've got the ball in your hands a lot, that those role players who don't get recognised as much, the appreciation I know that I had in the years, I had some individual you know seasons that went well. Yeah, you know, I thought Dave Thomas was underrated. I thought Stephen Hall was underrated. I thought David Stiff was incredible. Um, Dazza, of course, but we had so Neil Mottram just came and beat guys up and allowed you know so many guys on that team um, who probably didn't get enough credit. But you know, I'm glad we're able to speak around. But w- without you know, with them trying to do more or being jealous of other people's roles. We, we just couldn't have, you know, go back to that 07, 08, you probably would have gone one step further. But, you know, we didn't have those issues going on around us. We were really tight and we were good. So, um, no, I agree. Couldn't be – it's just so, so important to, do, to be the best at one or two things. If you want to sit foot on the floor, don't be good at everything. 
be great at one or two things while you develop your other skills in your own time. But mate, that's I'd, I'd say just look at look look at an MBA bench, and everyone has a specific skill set that right. they do really really well. Um, mate, that that's all we've got time for today. Uh, we'll make sure we get on next week and get these ticking over as close to every week as we possibly can. Great chat, mate. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. 